Hello, and welcome to uh, the commentary for Kingery Season 4, Episode 12. I'm Chris Stoddard, the director, and with me is the writer, uh, Jeffrey Bridges. Hello, Christopher. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And yourself? I'm all right. I'll apologize ahead of time for my sick-sounding voice. You know, I'm a little under the weather, but, you know, I'm all right. We'll get through it, so off we go. Doesn't that make it your sexy voice? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Hello, ladies and fellas, and anybody else in- interested, you know. Um, no. Okay, let's get back on topic. <laughs> All right, so uh, here we Excuse have uh, the previously in uh, episode... Uh, most of this is from episode 11. And uh, right now we hear uh, Brian O'Ryan, uh, who is played by... Uh, uh, why can I not even think of his name? Oh my God, uh, Nicholas Rowley, I believe. Yes, yes. Nicholas yeah. Rowley. Man, I am out of it. Um, and we hear what happened in the previous episode. Basically, uh, Sox is still in her uh, <laughs> <Yes>. second job <laughs> as whore. Yes, yes. Nice, nicely put. Yes. Um, so, I guess let's let's start with this. Uh, uh, episode title, Kings Over Aces. Where did yeah. that come from? Uh, well, that came out of, um, that's Yamada's hand at the poker tournament at the very end. And um, the whole, this whole, obviously people have hopefully listened to the episode first, you know, people always say this, but um, uh, it, it's kind of felt like all season long that, um, it, obviously it's been revealed that Yamada and um, Brian Orion and Sandrine were all actually Betty using a portable soul machine to swap around. And so it always felt to me kind of like it was Betty had like like aces up her sleeve kind of. And so that's kind of where the, the kings over aces, why I decided to go with that for the full house thing. Because, you know, with Tommy and the kingery, he's obviously the king. And so the kings over it was just my attempt at some, you know, vague symbolism. So. Yeah, I, I have to say, most of the actors uh, had little bits of commentary where they were completely blown by the uh, <laughs> the result of this season, and I, I'm hoping the listeners are too, because it, it, it threw me, definitely. Yeah, when we were coming up with it, it was, um, we were really excited by it, but we were really unsure if we could pull it off, and obviously everything all season builds to it, and then in this episode, I had the unfortunate... Uh, task of trying to pull it all together and explain it all and make sure everyone could understand it. So hopefully that worked and came across and you all figured out what was going on and yeah, hopefully your minds are a little bit blown by it. Yeah, so right now, uh, let's see, we're in, I believe we're in scene one, yes, uh, still with uh, MCO Garcia as Major and Pete uh, Milan as Tommy Arkell. And they are chasing after a couple of Yamada's guys. And that was you that we heard as the uh, PA announcer, I believe, wasn't it? Yes, that was me as the <laughs> PA announcer. Making a little scratch on the side, doing announcements at the uh, Table Ball Arena, I see. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I figured uh, that was easier because I didn't want anybody to feel bad because I didn't really... Like, I wanted just the beginning of it to be heard, and I wanted the rest to be drowned right, out by right, the crowd. Right. That worked very nicely. I have to say, Jeffrey, you know, mm. with the season three finale, I was really worried that the, this whole thing was going to be very sound effects. Uh, uh, 
it's it's uh this one is very different from the last season's finale. So yeah, it's it's I mean there's that that scene with um you know Major and the guy in the bathroom which is kind of sound effects heavy but compared to yeah uh the season 3 finale this is much much less heavy on sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> It made me feel a lot better when I looked at the script, and I was like, oh, God, thank God. <laughs> we, I don't try to kill directors, you know, and sometimes it happens accidentally, but it's not my goal. And this scene coming up here with, with Major and the guy in the bathroom, uh, this was one of the most fun scenes I've ever written for any uh, pendant show ever, and it was certainly the most violent by far and um this that all kind of stemmed from uh you know people are always talking about in so many episodes for seasons now how tough major is and how you don't mess with major and and you know she's this tank of a woman but you never see her follow through on any of that i mean you've seen her kind of you know strong arm people a little bit here and there but you never really got to see why people don't mess with her and so i wanted to make sure that people understood just how badass she is so that's that's where the genesis of this scene came from And yeah. I wanted to say, I, I think your, your your mixing on it made it actually even more brutal than the writing because when she's slamming him around and the gurgles, oh, and there, oh, the teeth, oh, it's just, oh, man, <laughs> very well done. It it totally makes me uncomfortable, which means you did it really well. So, well, I ha I can't take all the credit because Richard Casto was playing the goon, and most of those uh, sounds are from him. <laughs> Hopefully not the teeth, though. Uh, <laughs> that would go, be going a little too far there, Richard. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't do that kind of method acting. <laughs> I'm sure if I had asked him, he probably would have done it. No, but those were actually, those were actually dice that I threw onto a table. So. Very nice. Oh, and even there where she gets jabbed in the leg, it's so juicy, man. I was actually disappointed with that because I wanted it to sound really? juicier, and uh, wow, it, it it didn't. I mean, it came out so it sounded like he, what he was doing, but I really every way I tried to mix it to make it sound more juicy, it was really over the top, mm. and I didn't want it that far over the top. Right, you don't want to go into cartoon territory. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. See, now after this, I would be like, I, I'm a little afraid of Major, and I think everybody should be. So just wanted to make sure, you know, she was getting the respect she was due. Yeah, so all this gurgling, that's all Richard. <laughs> well done, Mr. Castor. Well done. He gave such a long gurgling take. I think he said he just grabbed a cup of water and he just did gurgling for a good, like, five minutes. Now I feel bad. The poor guy doesn't get to do anything except wail and gurgle through the entire episode. He doesn't even have a single line. I love this. <laughs> yeah, and he was pulling it out while he's standing at the urinal, so you know he was yeah. okay. That's just. <laughs> <laughs> vaguely implied there, but they yeah, came in and beat the crap out of him. Yeah, but that's what made it so great. <laughs> she just beat the snot out of the guy because he was, you know. Yeah. 
sounded like the entire fucking building was coming down. Yeah, well, he ain't gonna be a problem no more. I can guarantee you. He was one of your modest guys. That makes him a problem. You all right? Yeah. Got me in the calf with a piece of glass. But I'll live. That was something that just uh, came up incidentally when I was writing this, is that in the past several season finales, we've, you know, Major uh, lost a leg and then, like, lost her other leg, and then she got her legs regrown, and so now she's stabbed in the leg again. I don't know, it's becoming a tradition to yeah. <laughs> wound Major's legs in season finales. I don't really know why, but... I wanted to say I, I loved how um, fast you, you put the um, pacing between the end of this scene and the beginning of the next one, so that when Major walks up and Tommy's like, that was fast, it's hilarious, and I didn't even intend it like to be a joke like that. You got this extra joke by mixing it that way, and I really like that. Yeah, I, I had some... This was one of those things, like, in the fight scene, there are times where Major's uh, uh, line pacing is really slow, but I wanted mm-hmm. that to make it sound like she was angry and she was just so furious she couldn't talk. And then right. this whole thing actually was a complete accident uh, that I felt like if I left music uh, going on too long, it sounded like too much time was taking place and I wanted it to be shown that, you know, Tommy was getting ready to go in now. Right. Yeah, he was getting ready to go in and then chickened out and just stood there. Yeah. So then... Which, you know, I think it, it should hopefully show how much this has all gotten to Tommy, because he's not the kind of guy who, you know, just stands around and doesn't do much. So this whole thing with Sandrine has really messed with his head. Especially with what he thinks right now is going on. Exactly. He thinks, uh, of course, then what he finds out is even kind of worse. So. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of bullets flying in here. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> well, I figured there were at least three guys with uh, uh, Sandrian slash Yamada. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were probably all shooting. Welcome back to the Kingery Road. Oh, I wasn't complaining. Oh. I was just saying. I, I, was, I was just explaining to the viewers at home how many people I thought were in the room. Ah, okay. These three here, um, initially weren't, they weren't in the outline for the season, but, um, they first appeared, I believe it was last episode with, uh, that pe- was written by Perry. Yep. And I thought they worked as a really, uh, nice, uh, foreshadow to set up, you know, the power drains and stuff. And so I thought I'd bring that back, especially because it was also, worked really well to tie them in with, um, having the TV announcer later in the episode announcing when, Tommy's going down to Yamada so that you could get the fact that it was coming through the television and all of these billions of people were seeing exactly what was happening. So uh, it was it was a really nice happenstance that, you know, that that all worked out. So uh, way to go putting those people in, Perry. Yeah, and uh, they were, let's see, Cheryl was played by Gwendolyn Jensen Woodard and uh, Annie by Lynn Cullen and uh, Johnny by uh, Chris Olisall. Very good. I'm hoping maybe we'll see them again. I kind of like all three of them. Yeah. They're a yeah. lot of fun. What the hell is going on, Cassandra? And then we have uh, Cassandra, played by uh, Bernadette Gross. Mm-hmm. 
Christ's sake, just do it. And for those uh, astute listeners at home, you'll notice when Tommy gets really mad in uh, in a minute here, and he calls her Callie, the only person that ever called her that was uh, their mother, of course. So uh, he only uses that when he's really, really pissed off. Mm-hmm. What the hell is all this stuff? Sandrine's luxury box. I know she had piles of luggage, but this has got to be the source of your blackouts. This stuff ain't available to just anybody on the street. This is high level. Uh, How do you not notice piles of Frankenstein shit? That was a, a line Pete threw out during the uh, chat about this episode. We were discussing, like, was it clear enough what all the stuff was and what it looked like, and he just was just, like, you know, extemporaneously tossing it out into the chat, the piles of Frankenstein shit. And I, mm-hmm. I love that, so I put it right in. Yeah, it does explain a lot. I mean, yeah. I wanted to say, too, that I think Pete, um, in this scene especially, does just an amazing job. You can hear Tommy's voice change, and you can hear the, the stress creeping in as it goes on, and it's just, it's amazing what he did with his voice, that you can hear the, the stuff that his character is going through just in this scene, and by the end of it, I was getting goosebumps from yeah. He was so good. It was just amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was really hard to pick. I mean, he usually doesn't give me a lot of uh, takes. Uh, unless there's a lot of ad-libs, but, I mean, typically his, whatever takes he gives me are, are rock solid, and every single one was like that. It was giving me goosebumps mixing it. Mm. I don't envy you having to make those decisions. Well, he makes it easy. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, the giant info dump. Here's exactly what was going on, everyone. Pay attention now. So, yeah, there's all kinds of clues we planted earlier in the season that are coming out now. Like, uh, uh, here, Cassandra saying that uh, Yamada seemed familiar when she saw him. And why his body looks so perfect, and you know all that uh, equipment Sandrine was lugging off the transport that Tommy was uh, trying to carry for her when she first showed up, and that was all the soul stuff. So there have been you know hints and seeds planted all along that are all kind of showing up again now. Yeah, but even even the most astute listener, I don't think would have come to this conclusion. Well, that was the hope that all the pieces were there, but that nobody would necessarily put all of them together to figure it, figure it out. So. It was really well done. I have to say, the whole plot for this season was incredible. Well, thank you. Also, if you notice, if you go back and listen, uh, uh, Sandrine and uh, Brian Orion never are in the same place at the same time. And in fact, in that date episode, um, you know, one of them leaves and then the other one shows up a few minutes later. So yep. you never, yeah, they're always, uh, but uh, people probably also never picked up on that because any two people, you know, that aren't seen together aren't necessarily going to end up being the same person, but. In this case, they were, so... Ha ha, who will do? <laughs> and so this, of course, also explains all the um, phone messages that we've been hearing at the end of episodes all season. Betty's mind got broke even more from all the SOL transfers and became 
multiple personalities? I mean, you've been getting cozy with the head of Shinji's <laughs> clan all this time. Wait, but wait a minute. If Yamada was here, then where did he go? Because there is only one door, and I know he didn't get past me. Yeah, this this uh, bit coming up too. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. When Sandrine first moves into the the uh, arena luxury box, and you know uh, Tommy's just getting frustrated with Cassandra, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, just give her whatever she wants. Don't bother me with the details." You know, it was just like a figure of speech, and he walks out, and then that's exactly what she did, and so he didn't find out about any of this. And I have to say, Bernadette did an awesome job making uh, Cassandra really scared at this point. Yes. You didn't think to tell me about this? What was I supposed to do? You said not to bother you with the details. Where's the door? And then he hangs up on her. Doesn't need you anymore. I think he's had just about enough of everybody right now. So. Well, I will say. All right. So the scene coming up where uh, uh, Tommy leaves, uh, and after, uh, uh, or where uh, Major calls uh, uh, socks. Yes. I got serious goosebumps on this. Really? Oh yeah, because it was like we just saw the the badass side of uh, Major, and now mm -hmm. we see a lot softer side. Like you better take care of uh, Tommy, or I'm gonna kick your butt. Like she has serious right. feelings towards Tommy, whether or not it's you know. Uh, yeah, well that's that's you know her main her main job is to make sure that he's taken care of and that he's okay and that he's kept safe and he's not letting her do, you know, what she's supposed to do. And of course, you know, she cares about him, not in a romantic way, yeah. which she's said several times kind of grosses her out, but she, you know, she does care about him as, as uh, the head of the family and, you know, everything like that. So yeah, it was it um, an interesting dynamic with her not being able to do the one thing she's supposed to, so... And I was a little thrown by this whole thing because, you know, in the script it had everything on, on the television. I was like, all right, this seems kind of weird. It seems like it's going to be very anticlimactic anticlimactic uh, at the end. And it really mm -hmm. felt that way. Do you think? Uh, I, I, think uh, I think it's a perfect lead into next season. But it felt, you know, I wanted the boom to be bigger. Ah. But there was more of a, I don't know, a uh, behind the the curtain type uh, big boom because million, billions of people are watching this. Exactly, and that was that was the key thing to it is that it's not just about the fact that Tommy is going down <clears throat> and killing Yamada right there. Or, well, you don't even know if he's necessarily killing him. You just, you just hear the gunshot. You'll have to find out what happens next season. But Tommy's obviously intending to kill him, and he's not only doing it in front of a stadium full of people, but he's doing it on, you know, live television in front of billions and billions of people. So that was uh, a very big thing, and you got to have some, you know, serious stones to do something like that, so... Yeah, I mean, man, uh, part of the thing was just, you know, uh, with the... Uh, Sox and Major was where, you know, Sox is like, she's not really sure what she she's supposed to say to Major to make her feel happy at that point. Oh, right. Excuse me, Goosebumps just even replaying it in my head. 
Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, the season finale of season four of The Kingery. Hope you enjoyed it. Yes, I hope everyone enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the fifth season. Yeah! That's right. We will be back here in two months with the season five premiere, so stay tuned, folks. And uh, we'll see what happens to Tommy. Yes, we will indeed. All right, and that is the end. Thank you, Jeffrey, and thank you, everybody out in uh, Pendant Land. My pleasure. Bye-bye, folks.